0: Would you like to 10X your productivity and stop feeling so overworked and overwhelmed? Welcome to the Extreme Productivity Podcast with New York Times best-selling author and e 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey, everyone, Kevin Cruz here, and what a great week this is. This podcast is dropping on April 5th, and it was only a couple of days ago that finally... We launched the new book, Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. If you've been listening along, you've been listening to my pain, (laughs) the book that took a year to write, and then the publishers mucked around with it for a year and Rodale got sold the crown, blah, blah, blah. And then they took a year to produce the book. Three years. That's an insanely long amount of time to do a book. So I am excited that it's out. I'm also just relieved. I kind of have like some PTSD from wrangling with the publisher for two years, but I am excited. And since this is a Friday show and I get to chat about whatever I want to talk about, I just want to maybe highlight some of the content, some of the ideas in the book. Hopefully you'll Take some immediate value, and if you want more, maybe you'll go out and pick up a copy for yourself, or ten copies for all your team members, or friends, or clients. And first, let me start by saying big thank you to all of you who participated in the pre-launch and left a, a an honest, short book review up on Amazon or on Goodreads. Book reviews are gold. Like you really need to hit a certain amount of reviews before the. Amazon algorithm, the Amazon AI gods will kick into gear and start recommending the book to other readers of leadership and other categories. So, I mean, it's, it seems like such a little thing like, oh, me writing a two sentence review, like how much can that help? Or, oh, Kevin's already got X number of reviews. What's one more? Oh no, it matters a lot. I mean, just to go from zero reviews to 10, kicks some things in. When you go from 10 to 15 to 50, when you break a hundred things, start to take off. If you get 400 reviews on a book, which, um, my 15 secrets book, I think is around that many, like you're like legendary status. Like that's going to now be a classic in the category, you know, for a long time. And I also want to apologize. I want to say thank you and apologize to all these early launch team members uh, because the process was messed up. Um, the publisher, was delayed in in shipping the review copies out. And so then uh, that was a big problem. And then everybody who signed up late, we still wanted to accommodate you. But I lost admin support (laughs) uh, ten days before the book launch. And so instead of shipping out books very quickly, they're still sitting on my kitchen table. Uh, And so we've messed it up. And sorry about that. Everybody who wants uh, a book though for that for that review, um I will ship you, you know, a signed copy or a book plate if you got a copy of the book from the publisher. And thanks to everyone who just pre-ordered, all of you who have purchased a copy of the book and sent an email in or filled out the form at uh at NoRulesleadership.com, uh, you're all gonna participate uh later this week, as a matter of fact, in uh I, I'm offering two webinars on basically how to write a best-selling book in just two hours a week. If you do two hours a week, you can write a book and indie publish it in six months. You could write a big fat book and possibly traditionally publish it uh, at the end of a year. And I'm going to walk everybody through my process to kind of take the pain and the fear and the procrastination out of that system. So just a lot of love, a lot of thank you to everybody that has helped with this book in so many ways. So let's dive into the content Do you know that I actually hate the title? Great Leaders Have No Rules. So this was a title that the publisher insisted on after I gave them 10 other good titles. Uh, We tested with Facebook ads what the best click through titles would be. And I think Great Leaders was like at the bottom of the list. Um, And the reason why I don't like the title is now that's a chapter in the book and the concept which I'll talk about in a minute is this idea where every time we bump into a rule that we didn't set and that's black and white and that's designed to kind of protect against the 1% of knuckleheads out there the majority when we bump into that rule it takes away the opportunity to make a choice to make a decision and suddenly it becomes your company not my company you know it it takes away engagement it takes away ownership and accountability well, I would have loved to have sent that proposal out and gotten us a million-dollar contract, but the rule says the CFO has to review it first, and our CFO was sick that day, so, oh, well, not my fault. You know, we lost that deal because the CFO was sick. That's your rule. That's your, your bad. You know, I, I lose ownership. So I love this concept. It's a central concept that uh, that I explore in the book, but when you're walking by the book and it says great leaders have no rules, People think it's like, hey, great leaders can do whatever they want, like rules don't apply to them. And in this very polarized political Trump, you know, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, never-Trump world, people are already online, like like <laughs> clobbering Rodale, the publisher, I haven't really gotten it myself yet, um, saying like, this is not an appropriate Rodale title and this is not a message we want to put out there. They don't understand. it saying great leaders. Instead of having rules, we have values. We have guardrails. We have standards. We let our team members create co-create the standards. It's not us giving them rules. It's not rules from the company. Once you explain it, everybody gets it. But unfortunately, you know, 80% of book sales are based on the title and the cover design. Now, the only thing I do like about the title is um, that people who are searching on leaders or leadership uh, will will search engine optimization will keyword find that. So I thought because the subtitle is contrarian leadership principles, we will match there. If you're walking by a Barnes and Noble and from a distance, you're interested in leadership and you see this ugly red cover with the big words, great leaders, you'll walk over. So the cover's good. The title's good from those aspects, but it's really conveying a very different message. Um, So I'm not happy with that, with that title. But the book itself, I love. Like, this is my best work yet, best writing, most important, and it's all contrarian. So here's the 10 chapters, the 10 different things. And by the way, you can download a summary page at NoRulesLeadership.com and you'll get an action plan. And um, so like chapter one is close your open door policy. Chapter two, turn off your smartphone. Chapter three, have no rules. Chapter four, be likable, not liked. Chapter five, lead with love. Chapter six, crowd your calendar. Chapter seven, play favorites. Chapter eight, reveal everything Chapter 9, Show Weakness, and Chapter 10, Leadership is Not a Choice. So let's walk through it a little bit, and hopefully some of these concepts will help you right away, provide some value today for you. And I hope they tease you so that if you want the humor, you want the stories, you'll go out and grab a copy of the book. So Chapter 1, Close Your Open Door Policy – Like all of these concepts, the idea is that, look, this was a good idea at one point in time. You know, the idea of having uh, whether it's an actual door or now it's the proverbial door, um, the ability for people to, you know, knock on your door, got a minute. And for you to let them in and talk to them, it facilitates communication. There's quick problem solving. Implied is that you can leapfrog your boss and go through the open door of your boss's boss and There's all kinds of problems with that, despite the best of intentions. So the first is that, obviously, the one who's being interrupted, you know, it's gotten to the point these days where we're all so crazy busy and we've now so flattened the organizations that we can't get any real work done. It's a productivity killer. Uh, Deep thinking, deep work, creative thinking, strategic thinking. It's like impossible to do. But there's other problems with the open door policy researchers, and I I give the details of the research in the book, they found that about 50% of employees, even if they have a problem, even if they have a good idea, they're never going to go through that open door because they're they're afraid. Like the risk to reward ratio is off. They don't want to make someone mad. They don't want to look dumb. They don't want to open up a can of worms, whatever it is. So open door policy is a passive communication policy that puts the burden on your individual team members. And half of them aren't going to kind of have the professional courage or you don't have the psychological safety on the team for them to come in. And then what about the other half that do come in all the time? Marshall Goldsmith, I quote some of his uh, work that says, hey, like, what is going on with these people? Did you did you hire the wrong people and they don't know how to do their job? Did you not train them? Well, did you not give them the tools they need or worse back to psychological safety? Do they not feel like they have permission To make a decision or to try something or to solve a problem without running it by you first. If people are coming through your open door all the time, you might have a deeper problem. So the answer, of course, is not to just slam the open door completely shut. But first, there's many ideas in the book, here's just a couple. Move from a passive policy to an active policy, and I'm talking about weekly one-on-ones. If you're not already doing weekly one-on-one meetings with your team members, those are game changers. This is proactively and consistently carving out time to talk to someone in private about anything that's on their mind. Do they have an idea? Do they have a problem? Are they getting frustrated? What's their level of engagement? And then for those truly, you know, quick questions or things that can't wait one week, then you have scheduled office hours. The idea is close your open door, open your calendar. And so to each their own, whether You want the last hour of every day to be your open door time where anybody can bug you before the end of the day. Or maybe it's like you've got protected time in the morning and open door policy time in the afternoon. Or maybe it's one day a week. But just let people know, you know, unless it's really, really, really critical, don't go through your your closed door. Um, Don't treat it as an open door unless there's certain time zones. So chapter two is turn off your smartphone. And this covers Of A variety of research, the research that suggests that if you bring your smartphone and use it to text, email, make a call or even to take notes in a meeting, over half of your colleagues think you're being rude. And I get pushback saying, oh, that's old people or that's, you know, that's not true in Silicon Valley or whatever might be. But especially regarding the old people, these are probably the people who are judging your career and your chances for promotion and everything else. Um, People think it's rude. Second, it's just that distraction machine. You know, where uh, the research shows that even if like, obviously, if your phone buzzes and you're grabbing it and you're looking at it, you've just broken your focus. You've just broken your concentration. You've broken your mindfulness to the person across the table. But even if the phone's just sitting there and it's not buzzing, researchers show that it's pulling your brain waves, It's making a cognitive hit and, and depleting your cognitive energy just by kind of monitoring it and saying, I'm not going to pick up that phone. I'm not going to pick up that phone. And I also talk about, you know, the reason why there's no tech support phone number for Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or any of the apps that you've got. It's because you're not the customer. You're the product they are selling to advertisers. And so, like, why do we want to be like Pavlovian dogs grabbing our phone with every beep, buzz, chime and alert, letting some big company or even someone else in our company push their priorities, their agenda, their goals in front of our face and interrupting our work, our goals. I'm not saying a phone is bad. I'm saying use it intentionally, use it as a tool. So turn off your smartphone is like, turn it off or put it on airplane mode or whatever, get it out of sight. So you can focus on doing deep work. So you can focus on a conversation with the person across the dinner table, the lunch table, your desk, whatever that might be, and then turn it off of airplane mode and process your emails, your messages, whatever, as often as you need to. Now, for someone like myself, you know, I'm a I'm a CEO of a tech company. I think morning, noon, and night is fine. You know, uh, I'm never more than four hours away from getting back in touch with someone. That means the average amount of time I get back to people is two hours. Uh, you know, that that seems plenty to me. But hey, maybe you are just so in demand. Maybe your clients just need you, you're in sales, all these things you tell yourself, fine. Uh, Pick up your phone and look at it every hour, every 30 minutes, every 15 minutes, whatever it is, but do it on your schedule, not every single time it buzzes. Chapter three, and again, I'm just kind of skimming the highlights from these chapters. Have no rules. Again, I kind of talked about it in the opening. Let's replace rules, which crowd out conversation, which disengage us, Let's replace rules with conversations and coaching around values and guardrails. Chapter four, be likable, not liked. So this is this has been my greatest flaw as a leader. And I felt well, I do feel kind of better about it because it turns out this is also Marshall Goldsmith's flaw. And John Maxwell just a couple of weeks ago told me this was his flaw when he was in his 20s and, and early 30s. And it was that, you know, we've all got this need to be liked and it's we all it's okay to want to be liked like that's normal healthy psychology to fit in and to thrive in the tribe and you know there's good reasons to 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 want a family and friends and a tribe (laughs) you want to go fast go alone you want to go far go together however it's the need to be liked that becomes a problem because then you become a people pleaser and as a leader i'll speak for myself um, you know, all of a sudden, like it, it was actually very easy to be the popular boss, the nice boss. I used to tell people, you know, uh, we're just the same. I'm j- we're just friends. You know, I just have a different title. I just have a different role on the team. I'm not your boss. I just have a different role. I'm here to support you. You're here to support our customers. And <laughs> the reality is friendship and management leadership are, are different things. You know, friends typically are there to give you unconditional support and shoulders to cry on and motivation that you can do anything you set your mind to. And, um, you know, it's about fun. It's about laughter. Management, uh, you know, look, by default, by definition, as a manager, you have a, a, a big say, if not the say, in whether someone gets promoted or not, their raise, their bonus, who gets the corner office. Who gets the new laptop computers when there's not enough to go around? It's different than friendship. And I go further and say, look, you know, your team members, they don't need another friend. They need a leader, a leader who's going to coach them and make them better. I, I withhold feedback all the time because it's like, I don't want to bum them out. I don't want to cause a fight. I don't want them to not like me. And that's not like I don't verbalize it like that, but that's the people pleaser mentality. This need to be like we withhold feedback. We also slow down decision making. You know, we take I took six months to figure out a reorg because I wanted to run it by 50 people. And lo and behold, you know, Jane would say, oh, I don't like that idea. But what about this idea? So then I'd move the boxes on the org chart around and take it back to 50 people. And then everybody likes it, except Pete. Pete says, no, I'd I'd approve that. I like that. But how about this one change? So I make that change. I run it by 50 people. That was insane. Like, I don't know what was wrong with me back then. Like, if I wanted to get input. Great. Give everybody a survey. Uh, um, Have them email me. Do a town hall meeting. Like, don't meet with people one-on-one over and over and over again. I could have very easily gotten the group input, huddled with my direct reports, probably five or seven back then, and then I made the decision. There's no way you're going to get everybody to agree. Tough decisions are tough because not everyone will agree. If, If everyone knew what the right answer was, if everyone agreed on the course of action, that wouldn't be a tough decision. So... You have to get over this need to be liked and a couple of tricks. One is just to to have that self-awareness and be on guard for it. Uh, The second, when it comes to feedback, realize that feedback is a gift. People actually do want feedback. They want you to be their coach. Another one is like this phrase, replace the need to be liked with the need to lead right. Meaning reflect on your values. You know, what are your values as a leader? What how do you want to behave as a leader and do that whether or not people approve like, you know, in your heart, you know, deep down what right is, what the right actions are and just be true to yourself, not not flying in the whim of what, you know, popular opinion. And, and the other thing that's helped me is to realize um, and this is important, especially if you're like an author or speaker, whatever, you know, a need to be liked. It actually isn't the problem. It's when you have the need to be liked by everyone. You know, you get a hundred great reviews on Amazon, but you fixate on the three people that gave you one star, you know, like that's not healthy. And for myself, it's like, okay, I don't need everyone to to like me. I don't need everyone to love me. I just need enough people, you know, my kids, my girlfriend, my family, my, my best friends, my cats, you know, like there's probably 12, living beings that I care about, liking me or loving me. And then the rest, I'm just going to do the best I can. And whatever they think of me is none of my business. Chapter five, lead with love. My God, in this Me Too movement, we're going to lead with love. The Greeks had a word for this kind of love. It was called agape. I reference some research out of, um, Wharton University, Pennsylvania, and I'm forgetting her name right now. Um, Uh, Barsade, I think, Professor Barsade. And, you know, she calls it companionate love. It's about this, you know, it's not the passionate uh, sexual love. It's about, like, love for humankind. Uh, It's caring. It's compassion. And I've gotten a lot better at this in uh, the last decade, but it took me a while to get there. And, you know, Coach Wooden uh, has this phrase that he used to say to his, his players, I'm not going to like you all the same, but I will love you all the same. And this idea, it's interesting. Like, you could actually really dislike someone and still love them. And anybody who's got kids or teenagers, there's probably plenty of days where you really, really didn't like your teenager. You know, they were just being teenagers, but you still love them, you know. And, And so with teammates, it should be even easier. It's like, even if I don't get along with somebody, you know, I try to realize, okay, well, we probably start with have opposite personalities. And even if you don't want to wash it away with personality, I have to realize that like if I was born with the DNA of that person, and then I had every life experience they had moment to moment, I would be acting exactly as they're acting right now. And so even if they're doing something wrong, even if a driver in front of me is cutting me off or whatever it is, doing something dangerous, I I, I don't condone the behavior. It's still triggering. I don't like it. Uh, and I'll do anything to help them to correct it or to coach them or to guide them, but I'm not going to hate them. I'm not going to, I'm still love them. I'm like, okay, they're, they're at a really bad place on their life journey or their career journey, or wow, they're 30 years old and acting like this at work. Unfortunately, they've never had mentors. They've never had a good coach before. This is an opportunity for me to make a difference in their life. Lead with love. Crowd your calendar. Anybody who's been following my work from the 15 secrets book, 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. This is the idea that, well, first of all, great leaders, they're obsessive with their minutes. And I have all the these stories about these sports coaches who like they they, it's really almost down to the second. They they time and schedule their practices down to the minute, down to the minute um they're off season they're planning how they're going to prepare for the next season and they all have records and they go back hey what did we do on practice number 3 last season and what were our notes and where can we tweak it one minute here one minute there to get better i interviewed john maxwell a couple of weeks ago he says yeah don't have a to do list if i want to do anything it's on the calendar. He said, Kevin, pick any day 10 years ago, a time and I can tell exactly where I was and what I was doing because it's all on the calendar. And so that's the idea. It's like, you know what? Every minute that you are wasting, every minute that you let somebody steal away with a got a minute thing or whatever it is, that's a minute you're not coaching your people, developing your people, retaining your people, or it's another minute you're not getting results, driving profit. Either way, you know, make minutes count, crowd your calendar. Play favorites. Chapter seven. My early mentors when it came to leadership were not progressive leaders. They were old school. Now, this is going back a ways, but I was told, like, you have to treat everybody the same because you don't want to come off as being partial or playing favorites. Uh, The only fair way to be as a boss is just to treat everybody the same. Well, we know this is wrong. That's probably treating everybody the same is the most unfair thing you can do to them. What we need to do is individualize our approach to leadership and management. So we need to take the time to understand what makes each person tick. What are their strengths? What are their limitations? What's their motivating factors? What engages them? How do they like to be recognized? And then we can individualize our support and our coaching and everything else. And we also, as managers and leaders, need to keep context in mind. And again, there's a lot of sports stories and others where, you know, the superstars back in the day, Michael Jordan for basketball, as an example, it wasn't that the rules didn't apply to him, but the consequences would be different for a superstar. I mean, why should your top performing people make the same amount of money as a low performer? If you're working in a retail environment, Why should you have the same punishment for the great worker who's never shown up late in 10 years when they show up 10 minutes late for the first time as the person who showed up late three times last week? Right. So it's not that the rules or standards, hopefully, are different to different people. It's that the consequences are different to different people. So it's not treating people identically the same it's realizing that you've got top talent and that's where you actually want to invest more of your time. Don't make the rookie mistake of, wow, I've got 10 people, you know, two rock stars, uh, six who are in the middle and then two more, um, who are just horrible. And so I'm going to spend all my time getting those two losers up to speed. That's a bad way to spend your time. (laughs) Bad way to spend your time. You need to be spending your time with your top performers, because you want to retain them, you want to keep them. And oddly, your top performers are the ones that have the highest odds of getting to even greater performance. And by showing everybody that you are favoring the top performers, you're showing that middle group hey, here's what's going to happen when you've reached out your full potential, you know, in terms of additional opportunities, et cetera. Reveal everything even salaries. So this is just the idea that transparency drives decision quality, speed of decision making and engagement. Uh, Again, back in the day, I was told like leadership is acting. You've always got to wear a mask. If you go out there and give a speech and tell them the bad news or the threats or the problems, well, they're not going to be able to handle the truth and they're all going to update their resume and now they're going to go on LinkedIn and blah, blah, blah. That's not true. I mean, people people can tell when you're BSing them and whatever bad stuff is going on that you're not telling them about, they will make stuff up that's even worse (laughs) in their mind and at the water cooler. So the idea is just to be known as a straight shooter. Here's the strengths. Here's the weaknesses. Here's our opportunities. Here's the threats. Um, Here's here's why we had to lay off five percent of the people last week. And here's what we're going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Can we say it will never, ever, ever happen again? No, we can't. But we think we dug deep. And here's why. The more transparent you can be, the more you will earn people's trust. And they will know that when, you know, you say something's okay, it's okay. When you say something is there's a problem, you're you're being straight with the problem. I talk about um, General Stanley McChrystal, who was running JSOC and fighting al-Qaeda in Iraq. And, you know, the old military model, which is also the old company model, is that information flows up and decisions flow down. And he said al-Qaeda as a networked organization, they were learning faster, they were moving faster than the, you know, Western military forces could respond to. So he flipped it and he revealed everything because it was about push as much information, quote unquote, down to the front as possible so that there could be rapid, quick decision making, you know, with as high a quality of decision, you know, accuracy as possible. I talk about in the book, go ahead and reveal salaries. And I'm really using that as just an example, because when people say, oh, I do reveal everything, but I'm not going to tell what our salaries are like, that's the last hurdle. And I talk about the times are different. You know, it used to be very taboo. Nowadays, anybody that's got the Internet and can go on to salary.com or payscale.com, you can pretty much see what the going rate is for any job in any city. And employees who are 35 years old and, and less, you know, quote unquote, millennials, they're all sharing salary information with each other anyway. They don't have the taboo around it that older generations do. So the ballpark information is out there. People are going to talk about it anyway. You might not realize, but like a whole bunch of salaries are open. Any government worker, you could just look up their salary on the Internet. Any military person, you can look up their salary. Uh, in most states, teachers and the, the administration and schools, because they're government employees, you could just look up their salary. Uh, So there's all kinds of people who already know each other's salary. You know, the earth didn't end because all the teachers know each other's salary. And even if you don't actually go out of your way to reveal salary, what my point is that you should be okay with revealing it because if you're not, it means you're probably winging it. You know, you don't, you haven't thought through why you're paying people what you're paying. And if you haven't done that good chance that there's pay discrepancy, probably especially around gender. And so you know, there's uh, companies like Basecamp and HubSpot. They're very transparent um, with their formulas. And then I think I think, um, I think think HubSpot, or maybe it's Buffer, they even will share the salaries of their individual workers. They take the names away, so the outsiders don't see that. But more to the point, they have a formula. And it, it doesn't matter if you agree with what the formula is, it's just that they're transparent with their formula. And it's something like, hey, we're going to take... the 90th percentile of what appears on payscale.com for that job title. And then we're going to adjust it up or down based on, you know, if you're in a major city or in a rural area or whatever, they've got those kind of bumpers. We're going to give you some kickers. If you uh, have a certain number of years of experience or have mastered a certain technology, we might give you a choice between options and cash, whatever it is. And, and what's funny is these two tech companies like one says their philosophy is it doesn't matter where in the world you live. We're going to pay you like if you're a programmer, we're going to pay you a hundred grand. and We don't care if you live in Alabama or San Francisco. You know, it's up to you. It's like this is what the role is valued. And it's up to you to decide where in the world you want to live. And if you want to live in a cheap place, great. It's going to feel like you're making more money. If you want to live in a cool big city, great. But it's you're going to be a little poor, <laughs> but that's your choice. And then the other company you know, they flip it around. Um, they adjust. They believe in adjusting based on where you are. So it's like we pay going rate for your local area. So a programmer in New York City doing the same job as a programmer in Manila in the Philippines, they will make dramatically different wages because of the local rate. Again, I don't know which way is right, but more to the point, everybody's transparent about it. So if you and I were both engineer level two, or we're both sales development reps, or we're both frontline managers. We might not be making to the dollar the exact same money, but we kind of know ballpark that we're making similar. And, and if it's different, we know why it's not arbitrary. Chapter nine, show weakness. Vulnerability and authenticity builds trust and psychological safety. And only when we have psychological safety, will your team members feel engaged and motivated, only then will they become innovative and come up with all kinds of crazy ideas, most of which won't work, others will. And you know an issue, I did a lot of research. I learned a lot with this chapter because when it comes to authenticity and showing weakness, well what does that mean? You're, you're going to cry in front of you, you' tell them when you're scared, are you going to tell them things are really bad and you're clueless, you've never done this before. Like w- what's TMI, too much information? And, you know, there were there was a lot of different advice and good advice. Former Navy SEAL Randy Hetrick, you know, told me that, like, as a Navy SEAL commander, you definitely tell all the data, the good, the bad. He said you might have to implement a plan. And everybody agrees, like, good odds we're going to die. You know, <laughs> it's not going to work out. But he says you don't share your irrational fears. You are human. You're, you know, we're all animals. We're all human. No need to share irrational information, uh, that could then transfer to others. Um, I can't remember if it's Brene Brown or someone else that, that had mentioned, you can vary the degree of authenticity and, and vulnerability based on people who've earned it. So, you know, if you and I have already spent years together and had a lot of life experience and there's a lot of trust, we've already shared a lot. Maybe I am going to share with you, like I'm totally freaking out. Or I'm scared or I'm ready to lose it or whatever. If you're a new hire on my team for a week and we don't know any know each other, there hasn't been any prior vulnerability. Well, maybe I'm not going to go into as much detail on that. So you can kind of modulate it up or down, but everybody agrees like don't fake it. You know, all of a sudden talking about all your failures and fears and crying. I mean, that's an inauthentic way to be authentic. Just be yourself. Just be your whole self. In chapter 10, of course. Leadership is not a choice. Anybody who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows, I mean, this is my thing. If leadership is influence, then leadership isn't a choice because we're always influencing at home, at work. We we influence strangers around us. The question is just, are we leading in the right direction or are we leading in the wrong direction? Be mindful with your leadership. You know, walk in leadership, lead with intent, of course, is how I like to end the podcast so often. So those are 10 surprising things, highly successful leaders do differently. The book is Great Leaders Have No Rules, not about being a wild man and breaking rules or being a rebel. It's about not having rules on the team, having standards, having values, having conversations, having teachable moments, coachable moments. Anyway, hope you'll grab that book. Uh, as of this recording, the audiobook is not out yet, but it should be any day. So keep looking if you're waiting for the audio book to come out. And once again, thank you everyone for the support. This book, uh, I'm proud of it. It was painful getting it out there. Not sure I would do the traditional publisher route again, um, but learned a lot. And hopefully uh, all, all that we've done together to spread the word about it, hopefully we'll be helping a lot of people who we won't even uh, ever meet in life and that's okay. I think that's, that's what it's all about. Thank you and have a great weekend. Hey, if you like this podcast, you're going to love the LeadX Academy at leadx.org. If you didn't know, LeadX is actually my company and we have dozens of video-based courses that are designed to help you to achieve your full potential. And I personally teach you courses via video like How to cure procrastination, how to stop time thieves, how to cut your email inbox traffic in half, how to get to inbox zero with the 4D habit, how to minimize your meeting time and how to maximize your focus and energy and so much more. And every month we're adding new courses, new webinars and new resources. You could check it all out. No cost. There's a free trial at leadx.org. Until next week, remember, we all have the same 1,440 minutes a day. Master your minutes to master your life.